Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show, ladies and gentlemen. Got an exciting interview this week, uh, and I'm looking forward to it because it's time. It's time to start talking about 2024, uh, and it's very important. But, you know, it seems like some of us are more divided than ever in the Republican Party. A potential Trump-DeSantis matchup in the presidential primaries for 24 is revealing potential large fissures in the America First and MAGA base. The back and forth between Trump and DeSantis supporters on social media is so heated, many are starting to speak out and throw cool water on the rhetoric. The implications of the debate could have a negative on the success of good America First down ballot candidates. One of those potential candidates is my guest today, military veteran and nuclear energy industry leader, J.R. McGuski of Ohio, joins me to discuss the issue. J.R., Welcome to the Rob Mada Show, sir. Thank you, Colonel. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy, uh, but but you know your your regular title uh, beyond being a, a, a brethren uh, is a nuclear energy leader, uh, and, and I'm very I've been in the uh, utility business and the energy production business uh, uh, in my after Air Force life, uh, and I'm a big advocate of of uh, uh, going for more nuclear energy to uh, replace all these failing renewables uh, that we see uh, so that we have a reliable energy system. So, so what's your role in that area, and, uh, and what do you think about the future and where we're going with that? Well, I spent a lot of time in the utility side of the industry. I started off in the physical security group, and um, I worked my way up into the uh, management ranks, and uh, I was a project manager by trade project manager by education. And um, I was known to take on some pretty challenging projects Um, that led me through some major construction, some major component replacements uh, at the the various facilities that I worked at. And then eventually I took over the cybersecurity group. And then I moved on to uh, manage the company's spent nuclear fuel portfolio. And uh, after I guess reinvigorating that program and getting it up to, to speed with federal regulation, I, I decided to test my toes in, in different waters. And I ended up uh, joining a company that managed nearly 70% of the world's uh, spent nuclear fuel portfolio. And um, I, I worked with some of the world's largest utilities, some of the country's largest utilities. And um, I can I can tell you that nuclear is the future. It's the only form of power that I believe that we have that's emission free and that can uh, maintain and sustain the baseload that we have. And, and the population in the United States is, is only growing. And um, when we look at some of the initiatives that we're taking on from a technological standpoint, nuclear power is absolutely the way to go. I just think that the, the industry has suffered over the years. Um, they've been used to regulated market spaces where they haven't necessarily had to have uh, sufficient marketing plans, which educated their consumers. And, you know, 20, 30 years later, uh, they're paying the price for that. But I think uh, more people are getting educated and the fear of nuclear power is being subsided with the reality that it is the future of American power. Yeah, the overregulation is uh, is a great burden. I don't I don't think we've got a nuclear reactor for power purposes under construction or, or that's in operation that's younger than what, 1970s? Well, we do have, um, I believe there are two new reactors that are coming online in Georgia um, within the next year. But, I mean, those have been five, six years in the making, and billions of dollars worth of uh, capital has gone into 
getting those uh, reactors built and then getting, excuse me, the, the superstructure for the reactors built and getting that, that uh, uh, facility online. But, you know, that cost is because of regulation. Exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, we have the technology, JR, that I mean, my vision is uh, of small modular reactors or small package reactors, whatever you want to call that technology with a non uh, uh, non water cooled capability. I mean, even the small town uh, out in the hinterlands could have their own power uh, system and it'd be uh, it's green. There's no carbon emissions out of it. It's safe. Uh, I mean, storing nuclear fuel, uh, we've been doing it for, uh, what, six, five or six decades now, uh, and, and that, that has never been an issue, to my knowledge, from a safety perspective. Uh, all the safety issues have been around the design of whatever reactor was having the issue, uh, uh, and the, the technology has improved so much, and, and there are countries around the world that are, uh, and corporations that are developing this technology and actually fielding it, uh, yeah, so we and would I- have that to look back on, right? I agree, and I think that uh, the Department of Energy over the next few years is going to have a, uh, a a pretty big challenge in in reviewing the license applications for these SMRs. I know in other countries, like you mentioned, those those applications have been approved, but the Department yeah. of Energy hasn't been necessarily um, reviewing the applications in, I, I would say, the timeline that some of these utilities and some of these uh, innovators would have liked, but you know, as, as, as we continue forward, I think with a new administration coming in 2024 and with this Republican, uh, new Republican Congress, we should see much more friendlier uh, regulatory space uh, that would allow the DOE to pass these, these, these applications through. But, you know, the regulatory yeah. body of the, of the federal government has been a hindrance for nuclear power over the years, just as much as it has uh, from the licensees, not marketing and not educating the public on, you know, the, the technology and the, and the, the potential that nuclear power brings to the American market. But, oh, absolutely. Maybe those licensees need to look into people like you and me that uh, both advocate for it, understand the technology, have worked with nuclear technology for all of their lives uh, and know how safe it is and can be implemented to go out and market it for them. Hey, absolutely. <laughs> there's an idea. Absolutely. Uh, well, hey, man, I appreciate you just spending just a couple of minutes on that. Uh, but uh, I would but, encourage you, Colonel, to look into uh, the recycling of spent nuclear fuel. That's something that I think the American public really needs to be educated on. And that's something that the United States hasn't taken advantage of where other countries have. I mean, these spent nuclear fuel rods are going into the reactor and they're coming out having only yeah. spent 5% of their power potential. And you have countries, you know, all over the, over, over the world that are actually reprocessing these, uh, this spent nuclear fuel and reutilizing it. And uh, if we were to unleash that here in the United States, I mean, you're talking about multi-billion dollar marketplace and, thousands if not hundreds of thousands of jobs that could open up for the american public that are very very well-paying jobs yeah man i see i see that as a bright green no pun intended uh future for uh the american power grid system you know and reliable uh too it's it's both capable and reliable and carbon free uh and there's nothing standing in our way except our own propaganda you know i think most people think that spent spent nuclear fuel can only be either stored in a concrete bunker in a cave or turned into nuclear weapons grade material uh but uh 
but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because you're an innovative guy, and I know you ran for Congress in, uh, in Ohio's uh, Congressional District 9. You won the Republican nomination. I mean, uh, I mean, first of all, what, give me your thoughts. I, I've run for office before, uh, and I've seen the Uniparty, and I've seen the establishment GOP, uh, you know, when they're not happy with you for running. Uh, I was just wondering, you know, what, what is your perspective on the experience in the primary and the general for that congressional race that you just ran last year? Well, the primary was um, was challenging because, you know, I was a first-time candidate. I didn't really have any professional help from um, the the normal political pundits or the the normal consultant base. Uh, and I, I ran the campaign essentially on my own. I fundraised on my own. I had a team of friends and volunteers, but for the most part, I was the brain power behind the campaign. And um, we beat uh, two elected officials that were serving in Congress in the state of Ohio. One was a representative, the other was a senator. And um, to be honest with you, the establishment took me for granted. They didn't, uh, they didn't see me on the radar as somebody that could win. And um, we were able to go out and, and just do a grassroots boots on the ground, shaking hands and, and talking to uh, potential voters. And we were able to pull off a win by over 5%. Uh, the general election was a little bit more of a challenge. Um, you know, I, I faced off against 40-year Democratic incumbent Marcy Captor, who has been in office for a long time and uh, has a, a team of individuals that, you know, are, are willing to do the dirty tricks and, and uh, mm-hmm. manipulate the political, um, you know, competitive space to their, their, their best ability. And, you know, we tried to run a fair and honest campaign without any lies and slander. And, you know, Marcy Captor's team was able to work with the Associated Press and the Democratic media. And they, they launched a smear campaign against me. They spent, millions of dollars against me. And um, at, at, at that point, um, we were, some polls said we were up, some said we were very close, but be it what it may, the Republican Congressional Committee decided to pull their funding uh, from the campaign after being engaged with my campaign for quite some time. And we built a game plan that, you know, had us uh, sharing if, you know, donations raised to, uh, to which we could launch our television and media campaign. But when they left, that kind of left the campaign in a, in a hard spot because, you know, the money that they were to contribute was primarily going to radio and TV. So um, we just weren't effective in, in fighting off the narrative and uh, fighting back the lies that the machine, the democratic machine was able to uh, build against us. Yeah, it's, you know, I hear it over again, over and over again. I experienced the same thing, you know, in my, especially in my first run, but every run because the establishment decided they didn't like, they couldn't control uh, Rob Manus and they, they, they weren't going to have a Republican that they couldn't control that they could do anything about it. So they identified me in the primary. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but, but for them to work with you and then pull the funding, uh, that's typical NRCC, NRSC shenanigans that you see time and time again, and it keeps us from winning big, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, we could have won big uh, this year, and the shenanigans with the funding out of both those organizations uh, really, I mean, it's either resulted in Republicans not winning or Republican, uh, what I call the squishes, uh, winning, people that want to vote yes on every every funding bill to go to Ukraine uh, to, work, to the point where we've now depleted our uh, our ammunition stocks and our people can't train and so our readiness is falling uh, right. and, and we can't recruit. 
because uh, we're not focused on the real problems. You know, we'll get people that will just say yes uh, and everything. So uh, I appreciate you running. I'm glad you did it. Uh, and uh, I know I, I've seen your Twitter feed. I know you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, you're in a decision process now on whether you'll do it again. But I hope you do. I support veterans that run. That's one of the outgrowths of my original campaign is GatorPack.com's Veterans Leadership Fund. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I think uh, we need more veterans that are constitutional conservative veterans in the United States House and U.S. Senate. Uh, and, and I, and I kind of identified you as one of those guys because uh, we first talked about uh, the conversation was around J.D. Vance, yeah. if I remember right. Uh, yeah. And uh, BLF supported J.D. Vance and endorsed him. And uh, President Trump came in shortly after we endorsed him and uh, you had endorsed him. Uh, and everything. And he is the exact, to me, what I'm seeing so far, he's exactly what uh, I aspired to be and what you aspired to be in Congress and what other veterans that I, that I and, and you support, these constitutional veterans that uh, believe in limited government, a strong national defense to keep the peace, not endless wars, and those kinds of things. Uh, and, and, I think he's asking the right questions. I've seen a couple of things in the last few days that just go, yep, that's exactly why I supported him and threw our money behind him. Uh, what do you think? How's he doing? Uh, I think JD, I think JD's doing great. I mean, you know, he and I became friends and, uh, you know, we, we campaigned a lot together, um, you know, during the last cycle and, uh, we found that we had a lot in common and that's what, that's what drew us together. And, and, uh, uh we've kind of become texting buddies. You know, if I see something great that he's done on TV, I, I send him a text. Hey, man, good job. That's that's why you're there. And, you yeah. know, after after the election and, you know, I unfortunately lost, he sent me a text saying, hey, man, keep your head up. You know, stay in the game. We need people like you in Washington, D.C. So I think J.D.'s doing exactly what he committed to doing. Uh, he, he's he's performing exactly how he promised he would perform on the campaign trail. And. Um, you know, that takes a lot because when you go to D.C., things change and, um, you know, things change just when you're campaigning and yeah. you have to go to Washington, D.C., as you and I both know. But, you know, to, to have the fortitude to go to D.C., hit the ground running like J.D. has and uh, you know, make the media rounds that he that he's made and still stay true to what he's campaigned on. I mean, I think that takes a lot of fortitude. And I think J.D. is a excellent choice for U.S. Senate in the state of Ohio. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to what he brings you know, as, as his career continues. Yeah, I am too. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, disheartened, not disheartened, but uh, I'm a little bit uh, uh, upset that he didn't get committee assignments on the Armed Services Committee or the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, in the Senate. Uh, I mean, for one of the few combat veterans, uh, that's why we sent him there, you know, right. uh, is uh, because he's a combat veteran that believes in the Constitution. He's got a good head on his shoulders, and obviously he's doing what he said he would do. And he's proven that. Uh, so uh, the leadership up there really needs to get their heads out of there. You know what's uh, and, and put the best people in the best places. And uh, they should have put him on both of those committees, in my opinion. Uh, well, I appreciate you talking about him because, uh, as I mentioned, we have Veterans Leadership Fund in my political action committee. You're on our radar uh, if you decide to run again. Uh, and uh, uh, we look forward to your decision, man. You know. It's all about, uh, you know, it's all about looking to the future and seeing, you know, yeah. what I can, uh, what I can contribute and, mm-hmm. um, you know, running for, running for office is hard and, uh, people don't realize it. And, uh, I, I would say it's, um, 
that that the difficulty of running for office is amplified if you're doing it for the right reasons. Because yeah. when you lose, it is uh, it's not easy because you've dumped a lot of uh, you know real, true, honest emotion and energy into a campaign mm-hmm. where some people are just doing it for um, you know a side job or a hobby. And if they lose, that's fine. They get to go back to doing whatever they were doing before, uh, which is normally pretty lucrative. Where you know just regular old guys like us that worked really hard for a living and, and dumped you know a lot of our own personal money into our campaigns. When you lose, it, it's 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 tough um, on your psyche because you wonder what could you have done better, what could you have done different, and um, how can it not be the same the next time? And uh, that's really what it boils down to. I mean. Um, despite the loss and the margin, um, again, we theoretically ran little to no television and we came closer to beating 40 year incumbent, you know, Democrat incumbent closer than anyone has ever in her 40 years. So, you know, I'm happy about that. And the people here uh, are extremely happy about it. And there's a lot of people encouraging me to run. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that has to make all the phone calls and ask for donations. And, you know, um, it, it's tough to relive you know, the, the lies that were perpetuated against you over and over and over again, because that's, you know, it's one thing to lose fair and square. Uh, it's another thing to lose because, you know, you were the little guy and the machine decided to trample you. And, uh, yeah. that, that's, that's what I have to be ready for. And my, uh, my, my heart says, do it really. My heart says do it, but <laughs> you know, I got to make sure that, uh, my running, you know, is, is right for my family and, and everything else at this time. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, I am glad, J.D., you said to keep your head up. Don't listen to people when they talk about the failed candidate, et cetera, because they do. Even even today, though, uh, I get asked to talk uh, uh, statewide politics all the time because uh, by pundits that were naysayers in my U.S. my first U.S. Senate race, by people that spent hundreds of thousands in attack ads against me to the point where my family got hurt in my last campaign, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, uh, but it's the bottom line is you got to make the decision based on whether you're doing it for the right thing. And, and it's always a tough decision for guys like us and, and, and women like us, you know, we are, uh, uh, we're doing it, we're in it for the right reasons. So if, uh, if we're going to, our decision is going to take us in a direction or our family's in a direction, uh, that veers off of that, then we got to do the right thing. You know, uh, people Absolutely. ask me every week, I get asked, Hey, are you going to run again? And I go, you know, I don't know. I had to, uh, I'm doing what I do now to stay in the game. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, if, if something comes up, uh, the, the right things are happening, uh, my family and I don't talk about it. You know, that's, that's good. pretty much where I'm at. I mean, yeah. I've given it more serious consideration over the past few weeks, just because I know, um, you know, people are getting excited and, and, and there's a lot of people announcing for various, uh, you know, campaigns across the country. And I, I announced early last time. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm definitely considering it strongly considering it. And, um, you know, when, uh, my wife and I have the, the time to, you know, talk it through a little bit more and, and we see what, what's out there on the horizon, what the potential is, you know, that's when we'll make the decision, but, you know, we're still two years out and, uh, you know, there's a pretty contentious presidential battle going on right now that we're we're sitting around watching and and hoping and praying that you know turns out the right way. So, you know that exactly. that's going to be my focus for the immediate, and uh, you know we'll we'll continue building a coalition for for Congress as as we go every day. 
Yeah, and that's one. That's one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on, Jr. Is, uh, is to get your perspective on this this emerging 2024 GOP primary field. You know, the, the President Trump's already in, and I, I'll be tra- I'm perfectly transparent with folks that follow me. Uh, I've already said publicly uh, on my social media that I'm going to support uh, President Trump. He deserves a shot. The country as a whole, the government of the United States, has treated he and his family like crap. Uh, and uh, his policies were the best policies for our country in my lifetime, even even better than Ronald Reagan's policies uh, as far as the outcomes that we got. So he deserves a second shot, and America deserves a second shot so he can take what he's learned, you know, hire better people uh, and, uh, uh, and, and get in there and do even more to help the United States become a country of strength and peace again, instead of this craziness that we're seeing now. Uh, but I am concerned, as I mentioned in my opening monologue, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this Trump's DeSantis thing that uh, we're seeing emerge here? I think it's mostly on social media at this yeah. point. So you've got some, some heavy hitter, I'd call them heavy hitters, you know, 500,000, 300,000 follower uh, type uh, accounts, you know, I've just got a little 85,000 uh, account on Twitter, so uh, it's not that big, but these other guys, they have half a million, a million, uh, and uh, some are doing a great job of staying out of it, I'm staying out of it, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play the game, I'm just declaring and, and going to support the president, if he needs my help, I'll help him, uh, right. but what are your thoughts on everything? Well, I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a strange space right now, I mean, you know, I think um, one thing we could say and agree on is that uh, President Trump deserves another shot. Um, there's no doubt about it. The media has treated him unfairly. We're finding out now that he's been right about nearly everything that he's you know, publicly come out against or for, um, particularly some of these hoax investigations launched against him. And, um, you know, he, he's he's exposed the deep state and the swamp to a point that, you know, they they have been willing and, and, and ready to do any and everything to keep him from running again. Mm-hmm. Um, but with respect to, um, you know, Governor DeSantis, I've met both of the men. I, I, I honestly, I like both of them. Um, but I my loyalty is to President Trump at this point. Um, you know, he's done nothing but live up to the commitments and promises that he's made the country and me personally. You know, President Trump didn't have to endorse me. He owed me nothing. He treated me very kindly. And, uh, you know, when um, news came out about my campaign, like I just said, the hit, the fake hit piece, you know, he, him and his team looked it through using whatever, you know, visibility they had to, to look into this. And, you know, they, they fully supported me uh, throughout it all. And, you know, things like that don't happen every day in the real world not to mention they don't happen very rare, very often in politics. So for that alone, um, you know, he has my support, but what he's done for the country, like you mentioned, I mean, he's been a stellar president and um, you know, as much as I see the tweets where he's, you know, going after DeSantis and I kind of think, Oh man, you know, I, I personally, you know, don't, you know, agree with everything that he says, but, or, or the, you know, the manner in which he, he goes about it. But, you know, I'm, I'm taking a seat and watching because this is the guy that I learned to love when he was our president. And, you know, I have to believe that he has a strategy and that's going to work out. And uh, I can't I can't foresee him and DeSantis being 
enemies. I, I think that they, they, they have to have a friendly relationship. I think this is just politics for them. And, um, you know, they're launching grenades over the fence. And But, you know, DeSantis is staying quiet. And uh, until he comes out and says, hey, I'm running for president, I think uh, a lot of we, what we see on Twitter is just people jockeying to, you know, be part of that influencer market, which mm-hmm. happens to be a multi-million dollar per cycle market. And uh, some of these folks are just looking to build an alliance and allegiance and gain some attention. Some of them have valid points on both sides. Honestly, they do. But at the end of the day, um, my message is that we have to focus on the issues, not the person, the issues. And we're all Republicans. We're all conservatives. And, you know, we're out here fighting on social media, breaking each other down and attacking each other. I mean, that's just not how um, people act. That's how Democrats behave. And yes, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the side of our culture that we've been complaining about for four years. And here we are behaving that same way on social media. Well, that's one of the things that struck me that I've seen the last four weeks or so uh, is that, look, President Trump is in primary mode. He announced, you know, I got the privilege to go down and watch the, you know, be in the room when he announced. And uh, so he's a, he's in full primary mode mm-hmm. uh, and the things that he's doing are, are I mean, that's the way he runs. You know, uh, everybody should be aware of that at this point. Right. What's interesting to me, though, is that, you know, uh, when I first started doing primaries and those kind of things, I got told by the old establishment hand Republicans, well, primaries is just politics. You fight it out and then you move on. But now you see a lot of those pundits, pundits and political people saying, oh, no, look what President Trump's doing to Ron DeSantis. We can't have a we can't have a primary fight like this. Uh, well, I say baloney. I mean, we can have a primary fight, and we should. And then once once the fight's over, and you got a winner, everybody needs to uh, get behind them that can. You know, uh, I mean, some people ethically uh, uh, make a decision that they can't get behind a certain candidate. Uh, but by and large, you know, like Ronald Reagan said, if I can agree with somebody on eighty percent of things, and I, and I'm going to make them an ally uh, when we're all going for the same goal after the primaries, you know. Uh, in, in, in the same breath, the 11th Amendment by Ronald Reagan says you don't attack other Republicans publicly, right? And and But but I agree with you 100%. My only reservation is that DeSantis hasn't announced yet. When he yeah. announces, I think the gloves come off. I think uh, right now, um, the fact that he hasn't announced anything and everything that's being built up about him is just fodder. That's, in my opinion, they're they're trying to pull Trump into this you know, this online war, so he loses part of his base. I mean, if DeSantis never runs, then this is for naught, right? And, yeah. and that that's kind of my point. But, you know, look, I love the blue-collar, gritty, tell it like it is, be transparent, tweet at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, and, and, and talk about how much, you know, you don't like Rosie O'Donnell. I love that about the president. And uh, yeah. I, would, I would never exchange any of that. I just think in this new, you know, in, in this new political climate, People are looking for a reason to separate the establishment from the America First folks, and uh, the argument is is being perpetuated based on the 2022 election cycle, where we've had you know um, just f- a fumble when it comes to Republican organizations spending to help America First candidates. I mean, they've built this narrative very strategically, and uh, you know everything that we're doing going forward, we have to be mindful. We don't have to focus you know, on, on, on the past, but 
you know, there's a reason why that car has a really small rear view mirror because we can take a look at it every once in a while and, and realize what's behind us. And what's behind us is there's a pretty powerful group of, of folks that hold a lot of money. Trump doesn't have to worry about that. Like, you know, folks like yeah. us, do, but um, there's a, there's a group of people that hold a lot of money that are, that are looking to magnify any small issue into something big so that they can, you know, manipulate the trajectory of, of American politics in particular, the Republican party. And I think we've got to be mindful of that because they are. Oh, they certainly are. You know, I mean, the whole, uh, what's been flaring up recently is the, the, uh, politicization of the COVID vaccine, uh, uh, issue and the mandates and those kind of things. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's starting to be this back and forth on the influencers and, and, and from, uh, the president, uh, and DeSantis, although DeSantis hasn't announced yet, uh, mm-hmm. but he, every once in a while he'll respond by just saying, Hey, you know, the facts, uh, when he gets asked a question, he'll 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 go look. You know, my record st- speaks for itself. Blah blah blah. Uh, but there's issues with both camps from that yeah. perspective. I never liked pol- the pol- politics involved in the COVID response in the first place. You know, I think the president he he had the tools he had available, uh, and uh, he was getting, you know, being given expert so so-called expert information and data. Uh, uh, when he was in the decision-making process. And, and at some point, you got to make a decision. Uh, and uh, when you're looking at numbers like what he was being presented on deaths and, and, and those kind of things, you have to make a decision. And I think he was right to, you know, uh, to make the decisions he did. And he didn't even support any mandates and those kind of things, which was great. And I think he saw through a lot of what was going on with the mask and all that eventually uh, yeah. a lot quicker and he said, oh, the governors need to make those decisions. And, and once that happened, which is the right thing to do, uh, people like Ron DeSantis started making really good decisions when they looked at the data, too. Uh, so the, the whole fight about that uh, is, is only uh, it only gives fodder to the people that have really made the egregious uh, decisions and still are. They won't drop the emergency powers uh, under the pandemic until they are ready, right. uh, basically, is what. Uh, Biden said the other day, uh, I mean, those are the people uh, that are opposed to your freedom and their tyrants, and, and they want to use government to put their thumb on you, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to what was done under the Republican administration of Donald Trump and, and Governor DeSantis, too. Eventually, as the facts bore out, the either weak data or good data, they went the direction that they were supposed to go. Uh, and I think it under the circumstances... They, they both made really good decisions uh, based on what they had to work with. I agree. 100%. So, so the fight makes, that, fight, that policy fight makes no sense to me now. What I'm waiting to hear about uh, is, uh, and the, reason why, the main reason I support Donald Trump is his video from this week that he released two videos uh, calling out the Ukraine war. This, this forever war, endless war policy crap that gets American kids killed unnecessarily uh, and I'm talking about when we're when we're getting killed for our interests that are not vital interests, like right. Ukraine's border is not a vital interest of the United States of America or even NATO. Germany's not even uh, concerned. Uh, when we're when we have policies like that, President Trump has a demonstrated policy from his administration, and then he came out again in a political 
demonstrated platform policy and called out Joe Biden and the Democrats and the rhino Republicans on what they're doing with Ukraine. And they're really driving us down a road to a global conflagration, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, and, and I'm concerned. I agree 100%. I mean, you know, for, for a small amount of time there, there was a window where, you know, a lot of the America First Republicans were saying, you know, no foreign wars. I mean, but really what we meant is exactly what you're saying. You know, if we do engage in global combat, it has to be something that has the American interest in mind, because at the end of the day, our children are paying for this, be it with their lives, their blood, their sweat, their tears or their monetary future and what the government can support and the safety systems that are built within our society, you know, by our federal government to, to maintain the American way of life. And if we're sending billions of dollars overseas to Ukraine to fight a war that, you know, adds no value um, I think we're in we're in a bad spot. But, you know, the neocons, the globalists, they've they've this is something that they've done, you know, every few years. They've they've brought up reasons to go to war. And you know, we just have to root these folks out and we have to expose them for what they are. And um, I think uh, it just it, it all goes back to, you know, money and the trail of money. And Ukraine yeah. has notoriously it has notoriously been, uh, you know, a, a, a clearinghouse for you know global money laundering and and. And uh, we just need to stay. I think we need to stay out of uh, these European border wars. But there's nothing wrong with us. And I'm sure you'll agree with this. There's nothing wrong with us being proactive. We cannot be reactive. And when we're reactive, you know, in in the global space, then, you know, America looks weak and we look defenseless. And we have other allies that are going through issues. We have issues here at home where, you know, this money could be better used. And instead, we're... um, putting it out to, you know, a, a country who's supposedly engaging in an active war and, you know, their president can't stay off of uh, TV and social media. I mean, yes, time to do Ukrainian dancing with the stars. You know, mm-hmm. what kind of a, of, of a war is the country really facing? And I think the mainstream media, be it in the United States or globally, again, there there's a reason why they want to perpetuate this because it, it uh, creates a news cycle and, they can spin it and it all ties back to where, you know, they want it to go, which is to push a narrative that you know, the American uh, people should be, you know, looking across the globe with their hearts rather than the facts. And the facts are there are a lot of other countries in the world that could be supporting Ukraine, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with the United States and they're choosing not to. That should spark some curiosity on why. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, we could have been proactive in, uh, before 2014 and, and deterred Putin from taking Crimea, uh, although that's a that's a historical border issue and territory issue between the uh, Russia and it's and it's what it calls it's near abroad nations uh, or states uh, like the Ukraine area. Uh, you know, we could have been proactive there, but we weren't because Barack Obama said it's not in our vital national interest. That's the problem. Right. It's in Russia's, or Ukraine is in Russia's vital interest, but not the United States, you know? Right. And we could have been proactive after that. And I think, I think there was some proactive nature of, of trying to do a buildup to, uh, to have the right forces and the right posture in place during the Trump administration. Uh, but we never really got there because uh, of all the infighting, uh, yeah. quite honestly, uh, between uh, political type mm-hmm. infighting uh, between rhinos that hated Trump, the never Trumpers, the Democrats. I mean, it's all gone crazy in, in this whole racism, wokeism, uh, right. craziness. That was the tip of the iceberg. So yeah, we, we could have been, and we were starting to be proactive, but now 
we're 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 emptying our armory, we're emptying our readiness. Uh, you know, we're we're distracted to the point where the real enemy, China, uh, is uh, licking their chops. I think they're going to go after Taiwan before 2025, uh, like General Minihan from the Air Mobility Command said in his order that that was published a few days ago. Uh, he thinks 2025. I personally think they're going as soon as M1 Abrams tanks roll across Ukraine and approach what the territory Russia controls. That's when China's going to take Taiwan, in my opinion. And it's because we haven't been proactive, man. Right. You know, you're exactly right. We do. We totally agree on that. Yeah. You know, when Russia, when Putin put his nuclear forces on a higher state of alert, we didn't match it. Part of nuclear deterrence is maintaining parity in every right. situation. We're deterred now yep. from a nuclear yep. perspective. Yep. Uh, and, and, and we keep doing things that continue to tell him, hey, we're weak. We're not going to respond appropriately, but we're going to keep putting stuff into it and escalating like the M1 thing I, I see as a major strategic escalation, just like I would if they, we gave them F-15s or F-16s. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, I fully agree with the argument. I think it was Tucker Carlson that made this argument that the United States helping Ukraine in the manner in which we've been helping by sending you know billions of dollars and, and a lot of equipment and ammunition and, and what have you, you know, we're, we're enabling and uh, we're, we're giving a false sense of security to the, to Ukraine because, you know, if, I personally think that, you know, Russia could have leveled Ukraine pretty quickly and pretty easily uh, in the first few days. I think that whole, you know, first, you know, two to three, four weeks, you know, where Ukraine was claiming small victories and it looked like Russia wasn't going to be successful. I, I, I truly think that Putin and Russia sent in some of their, you know, low-valued equipment and some of, you know, unfortunately, some of their troops that they, they didn't have too much value in. Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad-free. Not a member yet? Try it for $1.